It is Monday, January 10th, 2021. I almost said June 10th, but that's clearly not possible. It's only been a week and a half of this year, and everything's so much better. <laughs> LA Podcast, Sunshine and Rainbows edition. Hayes, Alyssa, how are you guys? Hmm. I'm okay. I, I, I had a weird experience of what happened on Wednesday, at least, which I was uh, mostly mm-hmm. offline for the first time in my life. And so I don't really feel like I experienced it the way a lot of other people did. Like, it was already (laughs) mostly over. And, Scott, I know you were watching it. I almost texted you and was like, just send me, like, the worst thing. (laughs) So I don't have to look through all this stuff and, like, try to... And he's been sending you things (laughs) every 30 minutes since then. (laughs) You were... It's incredible, like, that, that... you just had the good fortune of choosing this past Wednesday as the one day that you were not going to log on in your yeah. whole adult life, yes. basically. That very, very fortunate for everybody else seemingly in the world. It was not a great day. Just like watching the the meltdown at the, the Capitol building with what was for all intents and purposes and actual lynch mob showing up and storming into the building seemingly with the intention of of finding and harming various legislators and also the vice president mike pence who's kind of like this guy i don't know but yeah yeah they, they showed up with their own functional gallows and intended to disturb the vote to the ceremonial procedure that I and I think millions of other people didn't even know was a thing until this year to basically for Congress to affirm the electoral electoral college result. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, showed up and lathered people, whipped people up into a lather. He didn't physically lather them up, but but he was there causing uh, a frenzy. And then we saw the, the result of that on Wednesday. And also it it led to a lot of shit going down in other places across the country including here in, in LA so a really terrible yeah I think day. that was the experience of a lot of people in LA as the national folk every camera was trained on what was happening in the capital people found out over the next few days some of what had gone on in LA there was a satellite riot basically that happened in uh, downtown LA outside right. of City Hall uh, that led to a mob assaulting a couple people. Berlinda Nebo, a, a, a black woman who lives in the area and was headed home, got uh, punched and assaulted by a group of Trump supporters. A guy named Christian Angelo yep. Hill was punched and sprayed with mace. We also found out that there were some, none in city uh, of L.A. and only one in L.A. County that I know of, but some local electeds went to D.C., for what one Orange County school district uh, uh, elected called a girls' trip, where they also happened Ooh. to go to <laughs> the Stop the Steal rally. Girls' trip, too, idea, maybe. And But Jessica Martinez, city councilwoman <laughs> in Whittier, went, posted video from the rally, and then later said both that she wasn't there and it was actually Antifa. That that's the only local elected <laughs> that that I know of. But so for this episode, what I thought would be interesting, we talk a lot of, on the show about what has happened 
over the the previous week, but I think such a consequential week as this, including the the Democrats taking over uh, control of the Senate, it looks like, yeah. is an opportunity to look forward a little bit, both in the next few weeks and months and then years, about what the kind of transition that's happening now means. Uh, and so I'm curious, yeah. just to start us off, it's kind of a big question, but what did the the siege on the Capitol and the the riot downtown and in general the end of the the Trump presidency what does that augur for the two of you about what LA specifically is looking at for the next for the next few years or we can split it up like you it, like you can say. What's the immediate? No, that's a great uh, question. Yeah. And then no, what's the long term projection? I wanted to go back too because we we recorded the show on Sunday, yeah, in the afternoon, and there had been a few of these that had cropped up in like I don't know, like a Trader Joe's and the Erewhon situation. But on Sunday night, we saw a truly terrifying thing happen in the city of Los Angeles with. Dozens of anti-masker, yeah. also Trump mob-affiliated white supremacist folks saying the same types of things that were said at that satellite rally on on one six, who went to, through the the Westfield um, Century City Mall and were harassing, physically pushing, trying to break down doors of stores. And then went to the Ralphs that was also in the same mall. I mean, all through that. It's it's an open air mall. So, you know, you saw businesses like trying to close the doors and block them out. But some of them could physically not in like a Bloomingdale's where the person who was like the good guy was ejected from the store, not the anti-masker. You know, all these incredible videos from Sam Braslow and, and other other folks that we saw. And that is. It, it, kind of that and the the satellite rally that and and the cops standing and doing absolutely nothing about it even as these people are being physically assaulted and you know horrible things being yelled at them like s with spit coming out mm -hmm. of these people's mouths into their faces and it, it, it's the same thing and our elected officials didn't bring it up or say anything about it. And when asked about it at the county briefing the next day, Hilda Solis, who's the chair of the Board of Supervisors, was like, oh, you know, just tell these people it's not a hoax and, you know, we're not going to reopen businesses. That's not what that was. It's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. And anyone that tries to think that what happened in D.C. is separate from that which kind of escalated throughout the week. They went to downtown the following day and did the same thing in stores that had absolutely no security or no police outside. You know, those police are very heavily patrolling those streets of yep. South Park in downtown LA and yep. they were nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. And same thing when you saw the video of the two people that were assaulted on 1-6. You see in one of the videos, that woman goes up to the police and says, hey, those people that did that to me are right there. Mm -hmm. Go get them. Mm -hmm. And the police is arguing with her to say no. Like he's saying, we, we can't do that. And that's it's so similar to what we saw on, in the Capitol where these law enforcement officials were just stepping aside basically to let in and praise and say and take selfies mm -hmm. with. We saw that, too, in downtown L.A., yeah. take selfie, taking selfies with these people. So 
I don't feel like the end is anywhere near. And if anything, it, it's intensified and, and made L.A. one of the one of like the the, the headquarters of this because we've let it grow now as a city and they've, they've never spoken up about it. Mayor Garcetti now says, as of a couple days ago, that anti-maskers who harass workers, who, who harass customers, uh, will be arrested, potentially. I don't know what difference that's going to make. I think about, you know, a lot of, like, Jane Fonda's Fire Drill Fridays, for example. The idea is to get arrested. You do prep, a, you go to one of those things, yeah. you prep ahead of time, you say, you're like, if you get arrested, here's what to do. Like, it's, it's, it's part of the plan. And the, 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 yeah, the idea mm-hmm. is to get arrested at yeah. a minimum. We have, of course, multiple people at the the rally in D.C., the rally, the, the, the mob yeah. action in D.C., saying that they were prepared to die yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. You know? so like, and like compared to... So that's, that's hard yeah. to counteract. And I think we're giving Capitol Police, especially in the last couple of days, almost a bad rap compared to LAPD because now some video has come out of... Well, one was beaten to death. Another, like other officers, like like we saw the video of them ushering people into the Capitol. But it looks like prior to that, there was incredible violence on the on the front lines right. of it. And yes, clearly they made a decision at some point that we are either going to have to start killing a bunch of people in this crowd, or like let them inside and see just see what happens after that. And like try to protect the Congress. There's an incredible, incredible video of black Capitol police officer being chased up the stairs by by members of this Trumpist mob. Yeah, there's the the videos that that came. I didn't send you one of what I thought was the worst video, but I think that that was one of the worst things that I saw that day. Um, The things that came out in terms of a, a visible evidence of i think i don't want to say like where we're at as a country but more specifically the state of the radical right in in the u.s which is everywhere you look basically on the on the march we have very belatedly we have some action by internet and mm-hmm. social media just like after the last election or the, the the previous election in 2016 we had some belated action to try to counteract the the manipulation of their services to to spread false and, and disinformation now we have some belated action to try and stem the worst amplifiers of like calls to violence on their platforms, including the president himself. So I don't, I, I feel like all of that, just like after 2016 is kind of, is kind of the, the cliche of, of closing the, the barn door after the horses are all out. There's, I, I mean, the, the question that you actually asked is, is really interesting. How, how does this reflect? How do we expect it to reflect in LA over the coming years? I, I, I agree with what Alyssa said in that it's the the sort of patterns, the sort of uh, events that we're seeing here, the energy that exists, I don't see dissipating. And in the same way that we have seen, I think, an increasing 
organizing structure on the left, more electoral victories on the left, which of course is is a great and positive thing. At, at the same time, we've seen an increasingly vitriolic energy on the right and an increasingly violent energy on the right. Uh, and I also don't see that going away. I, I think it's incredibly unlikely that any of this results in like a new Republican wave here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Like it's, it, I, I think if anything, the existing trends towards more people being no party preference as opposed to being Republicans are, is, is probably going to be reinforced here locally. But I, I also feel like this is maybe a rare, uh, a rare case where the, 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 the trends are large enough. They, they encompass large enough parts of the country that for the for the Republicans, for the, the radical right, such as it exists in Los Angeles County, and we know that it's not not an insubstantial number of people here. It's 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 a large contingent, although it is small overall in terms of an overall share of the population. Those raw numbers of people who are subscribed to this worldview are for pretty much every intent and purpose separated from like the the political mainstream here locally mm -hmm. in such a way that I like I don't really feel like there are things that the county board of supervisors could do or that the or that city hall could do to siphon away the ideological allure of of the the radical right in Los Angeles if that makes sense i feel like that movement is has its locus of energy far beyond what's happening in terms of local politics and to the extent that those people engage with local politics at all it is only it is only because the issues that they care about are refracted here locally so i feel like we're very we're very limited in our in our ability to 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 basically like take take the air out of that movement because it is a national and and even international mm -hmm. movement but it is but it's something that i think that our politicians have the duty and responsibility to protect people from to the best of their ability. So I feel like that should be the focus. I'm not positive that it will be, but I think it should be. Yeah, I think you both of you are totally right about the potential for, you know, the increasing anti-mask protests, the riot outside City Hall. These are all examples of like what you could call like right-wing terrorism. And like the potential for that to increase is 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 totally real. What I really worry about the about the end of the Trump administration is so much of people's, you know, the 2016 election and the result led to this burst of energy, like you were saying, and like activity for so many people, most of which revolved around Trump himself. And so on the right, mm. that's completely disconnected from the Republican Party. It's all about Trump fealty. And on the left, I think a lot of people or I mean, liberals and progressives were activated because of the Trump's presence in the White House. Now that he's not in the White House anymore, he will still be present for the right wing, like ginning up energy for the right wing. But out of power, 
liberals and progressives will not have that as a motivating force. So if you are someone who entered politics to resist Trump, what what now? Where does your energy go now? And I think we, we were talking about over text the Zoom meeting of this group called Livable California that Councilmember mm-hmm. Paul Koretz went to this week. It was live tweeted by uh, Jordan Grimes on Twitter, Cafe du Jord. As, as yeah. always. Yeah. Uh, it's like his, <laughs> it's his own special podcast and live tweet show. It's on the Livable CA. <laughs> and I think, beat. Alyssa, you were saying correctly that this is maybe this sort of a glimpse at some of our political future, which is most of the people in Livable California are staunch Democrats, despise Trump, but this is a group that works very hard to stop the production of new housing in single-family neighborhoods. This was a lot of the local political effort of a lot of like now anti-Trump Democrats. And I think it's possible that they will go back to this. When you, Scott, you were talking about like the political trade wins and you have people like John Lee, former Republican on the city council is now an independent. He's not going back. Like we're not seeing an ascendant like Trump ideology in LA that will lead to Republicans getting elected to office. Kevin James, who will, who will talk about former right-wing radio host is now a Democrat and is running for city attorney. He's not going back either. But at the same yeah. time, Paul Koretz sees livable California. He's running for city controller. He's running for city wide office, Paul Koretz. And he sees livable California as a potentially ascendant movement mm-hmm. in L.A. worth aligning himself with. He always has, but he's sticking with them uh, rather than something that is going away. And he could totally be right yeah. about that. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent that that he is right about that. There is uh, the the thing is what we have in California is a potentially enormous when when it coalesces, which it does from time to time, a potentially enormous reactionary block of the the, the homeowner class, basically here. Yeah, and, absolutely against housing and um, like criminal justice issues. When we talk about the potential backlash mm-hmm. to George Gascon's reforms, that's not going right. to come from Trump right. supporters. Like if it, if it has any right. impact, it will come from, uh, from Democrat, w- wealthier Democratic homeowners. Yeah. And so this is, <clears throat> this is, this is what's really interesting. I think when you, when you start to look at this year and next in terms of the electoral battles that we expect to be mm-hmm. waging and um, and we have ever ever since November you know we've we've kind of tried to balance our enthusiasm for for the local results in California with the medium term prospect of some serious yeah. backlash that might that might sweep into power more more conservative folks in Los Angeles in the next cycle uh, if if we don't remain sort of defensively positioned, uh, vigilant, and and so on, I think that w- what we see when we look at California as a whole, when we look at the the proposition slate that we had to vote on in in 2020, that gives us a pretty good sense of what the I, I think the kernels for that next phase of of the the political fights yeah. is already there. We passed the most 
reactionary workers' rights yeah. measure in generations in California, Prop 22, which now people who are astronomically wealthy are are taking that same fight on the road to other states. That's not a new invention mm-hmm. from tech that they've been doing that forever, using California as a proving ground for awful reactionary ideas. Prop 13, the same thing happened. The tax revolt started here and spread to the rest of the country. Now we have a situation where Prop 22 has gutted what was an incipient um, resurgence or renaissance in, in workers' rights here in California. And that is something that the voters did. And, and we're going to have, I think, fights along a lot of these similar lines. As we look at the propositions, we see that the, the voters rejected expanding the even like the most minimal expansion of the franchise to to people who are going to be 18 at the time of the the general election rejecting rent control for the second time in several years you know even even the more modest expansions in in renters rights etc that we thought that were more or less a, a lock this past year were shut down. And I think that there we can sort of see what does it look like for this electorate after Trump? Yeah. I think you, you already see that. Just imagine that being one or two degrees more conservative than the results that we already got in the 2020 election. And it's and it's pretty bad. Frankly. Uh, I'm, y'all use that to just name check the, the, the segue from Prop 22 to an article that came out from uh, Knock this week at knock-la.com by Mike Dickerson. Enormous story about how delivery drivers, unionized delivery drivers from Vaughn's, Pavilions, Albertsons, they're all owned by Albertsons, are getting laid off in favor of uh, gig workers. They're being replaced with app-based services. And this is 100% the result of of prop 22 and that the story is absolutely worth checking out it's it's on the front page of their website right now knock-la.com and also mike dickerson is one of the many people running for the assembly democrats the delegates elections which are this week which you can this is we've talked about these elections in the past and how annoying they are to vote in in person because people are allowed to election year while you're waiting in line. That's obviously not a very COVID safe environment. So now <laughs> you can request a ballot in the mail and voting for assembly Democrats is how you can sort of influence the, the California, the, 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 the platform of the California Democrats and also endorsements for candidates. Oh, well, while we're talking about California Democrats, we, we did see again on the local level, the California Democrats issue a statement saying that they wanted House Majority or House House Minority Leader, what is it? House Minority Leader um, Kevin McCarthy and our local one of our local representatives Mike Garcia to resign due to their complicit nature in the attacks on the Capitol, and it 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 Mike Garcia issued one of those statements like, well, I didn't I didn't mean it, you know, I I was just letting mm-hmm. democracy run its course, and we just need unity now. But let's just remember just why Mark Garcia now. is in is in office. I mean, it literally does yeah. say that. I think his statement is saying 
It's time that we move forward and unite for the sake of California and all of America. But let's remember why Mike Garcia is in office. Like, why did he even have the opportunity to hold this office? Because his predecessor was forced out for a consensual sexual relationship. Uh, because his his party did like a revenge yes. porn. Because right wing media yes. yeah. shared nude pictures of her all over the internet. That's right. Yeah, and so he gets to to stay in, and but, but this is like where we get to start this conversation about who, where, where do we where do we move forward with actions? Since maybe Trump is out, and maybe some of these people end up getting taken out of Congress. You've seen very strong letters from like in Houston, the Houston Chronicle, both papers and uh, both St. Louis and Kansas City trying to get Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz out of their offices. You know, will we see a similar push from the state of California? Mm-hmm. They weren't they weren't like as ringleader uh, figureheads in this in this event, but they were very. I mean, I heard I stayed up late that night to listen to their objections and and hear the speeches they gave, which were unacceptable for mm-hmm. an elected official mm-hmm. to be saying, and, yeah. and one that represents Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, I was I I was just completely shocked by what I was hearing. I mean, speaking of statements, we had John Lee mm-hmm. Hazy mentioned him as somebody who is now nominally an independent, of course, also nominally, we have nonpartisan city council uh, in in the city of Los Angeles. So theoretically, what you will often hear people say uh, when they hold office, theoretically, it doesn't matter whether somebody is a Republican or a Democrat. And even some of our Democrat city council members will say, it, it doesn't matter whether or not a Democrat or a Republican fills your potholes. Of course, one of the things that we talk about on this show is how much more there is to local government than that. And John Lee, for his part, after this, also was sort of saying the, the giving the unity do you message. Hear it? I've got it. I've got yeah, it. let's hear it. Oh, please do. But please unity read it. will only come if we listen to one another. I will strive for more dialogue, active listening, and always demonstrating respect. Yeah. So uh, so his his whole message, obviously, trying to distance himself from his party of like 10 months ago, but also trying to uh, to say that the the problem with the protests or that the protests in the Capitol were emblematic of divisiveness Mm -hmm. and polarization, which is, of course, leaving out quite a bit. I wonder if he saw the the photo of the working gallows that was in front of the Capitol. It seems like John Lee, who is trying to cast himself as a statesman or, or whatever, like, a, can we do, we can all just remember that this is somebody who is not accused, actually said himself that he was present on a trip to Las Vegas in which his boss, then council member Mitch Englander, was accepting bribes from a developer statesmanship maybe should not be the lever that he tries to reach for at this point in time. honestly i am not really looking for statements on what happened at the capitol from <laughs> anyone on the la city <laughs> council you. honestly it's like i should know how you feel about this like i don't need you to check in and say yeah. like this was a horrible act this is bad but for you to then decide to check in and say it's time to engage in active listening, now I'm 
concerned. <laughs> like, yeah, now, yeah, exactly. Nothing would have been fine. I would have just now assumed we're pissed. you were not into this. But like, this, is, <laughs> this is not what I needed to hear. But then, I mean, that, that brings up another point, too, which is we have something happening again over the entire summer of 2020. We, we kept having this yeah. conversation. We have now something happening 3,000 miles away. And we have uh, the mayor, Eric Garcetti, weighing in on it. We have council members, including John Lee, weighing in on it and sort of giving us their their take on on the, the siege yeah. of the Capitol. And yet we have the satellite yeah. rallies that we talked about here. And what's been said about that? Are, are there statements about, about those? Kevin DeLeon put out a statement about the violence. It was in his mm-hmm. district. So he did speak up about it. I don't know if Garcetti has said anything or not. I didn't. I've been watching carefully. Somebody pointed out that LAPD chimed in and was trying to defend one of the photos shows this red bearded man mm-hmm. holding the woman. And there was this whole confusion about whether or not he was a good Samaritan, but that it turned out somebody had more video of him later actually harassing other people. Mm-hmm. So, but the, there's an LAPD post like defending him as a good Samaritan, but not really about the <laughs> what yeah. occurred. But apparently they're invest- investing it as a hate crime and they are accepting tips, which wouldn't really be necessary if they had actually apprehended the people who were doing it at the moment that they were standing right there doing it. Yeah. So I'm a bit confused about about their uh, you know ability to get tips. It's the same thing as the Capitol. So on the uh, ADEMs, you can vote at ademelections.com. Also, this is something that's worth doing some research about, depending on even finding out what assembly district you live in, frankly. And you can look at the Progressive Delegates Network. There are a lot of endorsements, endorsements out there, but there's a group called Progressive Delegates Network that you can find their endorsements at adems2021.vote. Let's go back to the future. And we will look into like what mm-hmm. what the events of this week mean for for the next couple of years. And let's look at the kind of affirmative side of it. What does a the Biden administration and the fact that now as of this week the Democrats have a trifecta at the federal level? What does that mean yep. for the next few months in LA? The 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 stuff we're going through right now, COVID, the budget crisis. What does new leadership at the federal level predict for us? It depends on, you know, the the thing the thing that really is this this is the 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 barest trifecta that you can mm-hmm. possibly have. We have we have Kamala Harris expected to play a major role in passing party line votes in yep. the Senate and a very very small majority i think they said the smallest in 20 to 30 years in the house um so having said all that once we get through what is sure to be um yeah. a uh a, a chaotic couple weeks here leading up to inauguration day once we get through all of that and the actual business of of legislation starts we are going to be at the mercy of the absolute most conservative members of the Senate. And that, I think, sets the tone for what is... The most conservative Democrats. 
sorry, yes, the most conservative yeah. Democrats, not uh, not like Lindsey Graham or whoever or Ted Cruz. But honestly, I mean, it, it'll also be like Josh Hawley and the like weird like renegade populist Republicans who represent the absolute worst of the Trump ideology, mm-hmm. but also like to faint mm-hmm. towards like the two thousand dollar relief checks and things like that. Like it's it's those sure. partnerships with people like him and Joe Manchin, Lisa Murkowski, that you're saying that will dictate what comes out, right? And I mean, so it it dep- it all depends on basically what ends up being a party line vote and what ends up being something that potentially can pass with some right. support from the the Republican caucus, as you're mentioning. Additional relief checks is something that theoretically could pass with bipartisan support. Despite the fact that both, I think, the the more traditional conservatives and the more conservative members of the Democratic contingent, including Joe Manchin, have said that they don't support additional uh, stimulus payments. It is something that could happen. And it's something that, frankly, uh, a lot of people in Los Angeles and other major uh, cities and actually throughout the country really could use right now. Uh, we've seen... It, but like just just to focus on Los Angeles, we've seen here as as we've run out of hotel or um, hospital space, as we've become one of the centers of the epidemic here, that we we can directly attribute a lot of the growth in cases to the fact that people have people live paycheck to paycheck in Los Angeles and cannot forego a paycheck because it will directly lead to them becoming homeless in in weeks or days from from now. And so any amount of stimulus or any amount of support that the federal government can offer will directly prevent people from falling into homelessness and can I think pretty clearly be tied to keeping people mm-hmm. alive. And and so what we really hope to see for the rest of 2021 is some direct emergency measures cutting through what is sure to be the argument of why should we be doing this because we've we've already spent trillions and right. trillions of dollars we've bailed out xyz corporations and now we can't afford to spend any more on people also Surely we are going to hear people saying now that the vaccine is being rolled out, we need to just mm-hmm. focus on that and not on further COVID relief yeah. directly. Let's just get back to normal as fast as we can. Alyssa? Yeah, I had a, I had a, going back to our, our, what our Wednesdays were like, I had a similar thing of haze where I was going to the beach with my kids. I took last week off of work and there was a time when I was out of service and I was listening to NPR as it, as the, the day was starting and then when I we went out of service and the only notification that came through on my phone was that John Ossoff had won, <laughs> officially won the Senate race. And so I had the, about 45 minutes where I was in this blissful uh, transit-centric vision of the future of the country mm-hmm. where the, you know, all the subway gets funded and... Um, you know, all these this beautiful uh, future is imagined. And then I, you know, came around the corner and the radio came back and it was clear what was really going on. But I, I, I've been thinking a lot about what the Senate means for, of course, COVID relief, because I think a lot of the city leaders were waiting to see what was going to happen before mm-hmm. they took additional measures. Even at the state level, I have a feeling that that, you, you, we could talk about this too, like the budget was 
um, revealed on Friday. It all feels yeah. like so long ago by Governor Newsom. And there actually is quite a bit of money. You know, the state, we've talked about this before, has money. It's mm-hmm. doing well, like despite all this uh, horrible economic situation. And they're spending it for the first time. They uh, Gavin Newsom is... California is sending out $600 checks on top of the federal ones we heard a couple of days ago. Yes, like they're they're focusing on get, getting out more money for families, but I think they mm-hmm. a lot a lot of cases we're just waiting to see what was going to happen. So we'll of course that, but I I think the the biggest questions for what this means for the Biden vision, the Mayor Pete vision, we don't really know exactly yeah. what it is yet, but he's but he's tweeting about it. And and what how what the housing relief will take form with too, like how long we'll have probably not rent and mortgage forgiveness, but a much more palatable solution for people who are going to be paying back their rent for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm thinking about is like we're the economic crisis is is just lengthening, you know, every as long as this is happening. So getting people back in trans on transit safely mm-hmm. like we were really worried about that especially in other cities not as much in LA like we're doing better but we're we we are facing a crisis too where drivers are calling in sick now and they're having to make schedule changes because of the number of staff that are not able to drive the vehicles and we're seeing that kind of break down a lot of other industries too so for me I was really focused on what we'll be able to accomplish as far as major help for just the basic social and public services that make cities function. Yeah, right. Part of that could be, like we talked about before, like the Home Key program, getting Mm -hmm. a federal FEMA grant to start getting people um, housed. What is the, I mean, what is the politics of, you you said that you don't think that we'll see like rent or mortgage forgiveness for for payments during this period. But like, I'm curious... I mean, shouldn't we expect something of that nature? I, like, I, wh- I'm curious what the politics yeah. is of that from a national perspective. I mean, there's two there's two major pushes that are, I think, really happening, and that is one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's been a group of legislators, like the Squad and other progressive Democrats. Who the Squad has grown. There are new Squad members that are now officially in the Squad, and that's been their number one push and i i don't i i think that might be something to tackle locally now especially now that we have some proposals maybe at the at the city scale that might make it more feasible um i don't see it nationally i don't know i mean let's talk about let's have the the rent cancellation conversation and so it was ilhan omar that put out a bill months ago to to cancel rent nationally but that that bill compensated landlords. It was basically a cash infusion. It was taking yeah. uh, uh, like canceling rent contracts and and just the federal mon- government sending out money to to satisfy that contract between landlords and tenants. The vision locally, mm-hmm. because of a, a limited supply of money that the city, county, state even are allowed to spend, involves not compensating landlords like there's there's no version of universal rent cancellation certainly that would allow for landlords to be compensated to me that is the kind of proposal that depends on a legal system that is not necessarily friendly to this kind of effort or that depends on 
getting the right judge and then potentially getting a friendly Supreme Court, which like there's absolutely no way the Supreme Court would sign off on rent cancellation without compensation for landlords. So you risk that getting tied up for a really long time. This is just the reality of a huge policy shifting proposal like that. What gets the job done for me in the same way is sending out money to people directly and just giving them as much as possible. They'll spend it on rent. That's what they did with boosted unemployment checks at the beginning of the pandemic, which we now, in retrospect, I think there's a ton of evidence that that not only saved the economy, but just like gave people an economic boost, like $600 a week extra on top of California unemployment, if you can get it. Like there's issues with actually accessing that money. But that was a lot. Yeah. That was very meaningful for people. Mm-hmm. The, the, the pretty clear, sorry, let me keep going. I, I, the, the clear thing that we're seeing now is that the economic recovery is taking sort of yep. like a horseshoe mm-hmm. parabola shape. Like when, when we were actually actively bailing out the, recover, the, the economy, it was recovering. And because that was sort of a, a, a limited infusion of capital, to people so that they could continue making ends meet as that petered out now we are the the economy is worsening again and so like yeah i mean that 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 does seem to be the case that you can clearly point to that and say these payments helped people significantly and helped total broader i'm actually really optimistic about the potential of of more relief coming from the new democratic trifecta i actually found what happened to joe manchin pretty encouraging because he said no to the $2,000 checks. And then mm-hmm. he had to walk that back and say, I was just saying <laughs> vaccines have to be the first priority, but then we can talk about the $2,000 checks. That's a good sign. You can sign. have money if you get a shot. Right? <laughs> that, somebody that took him by the woodshed. was like, look, pal. Uh, <laughs> you know, I do, I feel like though, it, it, I'm, I, I agree with what you're saying about, you know, the, the potential for injunctions to halt meaningful progress on on rent forgiveness as a more more direct solution to uh to the the crisis the eviction crisis that's facing so many people that being said i kind of i i do kind of wonder from a from from a perspective of of an individual uh renter if you are being told we are trying to get this rent cancellation for your your past rent or whatever passed we're trying to get that package passed and then at some point down the line it there's there's an injunction or that action is is stopped from proceeding temporarily does that not at least have i mean does that cause more harm to the to the renter if it is not if if it's not impacting them now they haven't paid that rent already it's a matter of at that point their legislators trying to secure for them cancellation yeah. of of what they owe existing what they already and it might not owe. it might just be worth pursuing and then like you see what you can get out of this effort mm-hmm. but i think legislators often make choices about what they're they're putting their back into when it comes to what they're advocating for mm-hmm. and if it's me one or the other i would potentially be more focused on getting allowing more people to avail themselves of the rights that currently exist 
We've like we've set up these tenant protections, and there are vast, vast hundreds of thousands of people in this county that never even become aware of them and are exploited by their landlords and end up out on the street, never even knowing that they could have potential. That first of all, they did not have to pay rent in the first place. That they can't get evicted for non-payment. Mm-hmm. That they could have had access potentially to free legal counsel for their a landlord attempting to ev- evict them. They never find out because we don't do the outreach. And Pat, like making sure at the ground level, this is what city and county government is for, making sure that those protections are they exist for people and that they're enforced, I think is potentially the effort that makes more sense for the city and county right now. And let the federal government be the, the money hose that it is supposed to be like that is the entity, the level of government that can print money. And I'm hearing Joe Biden talk about deficit spending. And, like, I think he's going to plug the hole in the L.A. city budget. If if Garcetti Mm. gets anything out of this, I think a lot of money is coming our way. And that That, includes stuff that was passed under a Republican Senate, which is about $250 million is coming to city of L.A., closer to six hundred million for the the county Mm -hmm. in total, for rent relief specifically. Like the like the money mm-hmm. is coming, but the, the enforcement still yeah. is not really there. I mean, so the, the thing is, and I think that that I, I really want to talk about this this concept of of bailing out municipalities, city of LA specifically, too, because the the thing is, when we talk about the the money that gets allocated under a Republican Senate, we're I think we are playing into a, a very clear trap that that continues happening again and again, which is that the Republican Republicans and Democrats, politicians on either partisan side, spend money. They, they spend a lot of money. And only when the Democrats are in power does spending mm-hmm. money take on a, a negative valence and we've even before uh before this most recent relief package was passed in congress you know something like a month ago or or a month and a half ago mitch mcconnell was already saying we are not going to to sign on to helping the democrats bail out their rich friends in blue states and he's talking about yep. us right like he's talking about us in los angeles he's talking about uh, a, a city government where like the the there's a uh, gap in revenues of like hundreds of millions of dollars where the average household is rent burdened like the, the people are on average paying more than like 30 percent of their income in rent where People are, I think there's like a one in four chance that your household is in actual federal poverty, despite the fact that the federal poverty line is a joke mm-hmm. in California. And these are pre-existing conditions for uh, this. This all precedes the right. pandemic, what you're describing. And so there's this and so there's this backlash to the the idea of spending money on on urban poverty and families who are falling it very quickly into housing precarity during the pandemic simply because California is a blue state, simply because Los Angeles is, you know, anathema to real America or, or, or whatever. But the, the, the issue that I think that we run into is that 
the money the money is never available when it comes to we want to spend this money on bailing out cities we want to spend this money on and i think that goes back to what Alyssa was saying about um about not expecting rent forgiveness to happen because when you start talking about things that will de facto go more towards people who are most affected by the the looming eviction crisis even though that if if this were in in any real sense of the word uh, a, a single nation and society, you would think that having tens of millions of people on the brink of eviction, regardless of what which states they lived in, would be a crisis that bore some kind of policy response. But the I think the reality that we keep running into is that if that that benefit goes towards places that are in blue states and by extension are are browner and blacker than the the average demographic across the nation people get pissed off and that and that it just stalls out and so I, I hope that that doesn't happen i do think that you're right that we'll see some i think that we'll see some package that includes money for uh for funding city governments but I'm I am curious about what that will look like, and I, I think that there is certainly some potential that that gets cast as 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 like a giveaway to wealthy people, which which is always how things that that fund L.A. government in particular right. seem to get cast, which is just at odds with reality. To some extent, it's at odds with reality, right? Because like if you complete the city budget. Like the cuts weren't made to this so far, but most of the city budget goes to the LAPD, the salaries of which are like upper income. So like there's the uh, the opposing argument to be made as well, right? That this is just money to yeah. reinforce our old system when you're when you're just replenishing the city budget without changing how the money is spent. And that gets at I think mm-hmm. all of this money is kind of is a short-term fix. I think it's a really meaningful short-term fix. I honestly do. Like I especially if they go back to boosted unemployment payments, which I think is 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 pretty likely that even more than the $300 a week extension that just happened, I think we could see that added to and expanded on. That's a big deal. All the money's a big deal. But at best it gets us back to where we were in 2019. Which in L.A., you know, we were doing the show then and talking a lot about how that was not like yep. A, yep. Uh, a healthy situation. And so then I think it will come back to city and state policies being so vital for people to pay attention to and to advocate about. Uh, and I, I, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, I worry that's more difficult without trump turning political engagement into a just something that more people were were doing speaking of state and local uh, policy i do want to segue talking about biden saying that he's going to unleash as many vaccines as possible uh and like the local Mm -hmm. rollout here and state and city policy when it comes to covid we had a lot of talk about that this week where the uh, fda released what was at least perceived to be new guidance around the tests that are administered in the uh, city of Los Angeles by a company called Curative, saying basically that these tests are uh, likely to produce a significant number of false negatives and should primarily be used by symptomatic people and not as justification for a change of behavior. 
and a lot of people were very upset to hear that. They looked into the story. Jenna Chandler, uh, from formerly from Curbed LA, now the editor right. of the LA Business Journal, wrote a great story about Curative's relationship with the city of LA, how they got this no-bid contract, how they were formerly a, a company targeting the effects of sepsis, a biotech company started by this 25-year-old guy named Fred Turner, and then got this no-bid contract. If you were a weekly listener to the show, you would have been able to know and react to this in April when we uh, when we were talking about it a lot. But it seems like a lot of people just caught on this week with the new FDA, FDA guidance that wasn't actually new. Uh, this was something that we were told at the very beginning of getting these tests and that the city of L.A. also said, even the mayor has said all along, get tested, but don't use the test to justify seeing friends or even going to work. At the same time, that is how the test has been used. And in retrospect, it's pretty obvious, right, Alyssa, that it would like. Well, yeah, yeah right. I mean, it's have you taken you've both done the test. Right? I have it's not Dodger taken Stadium. the test for that reason. What's the point? Right. I, it would not well, lead me to change my behavior at all. Not even for the fun of it? Wow. I can't believe you just not go experience Dodger Stadium and all of its glory. I have taken it many so times. So I was shocked. I've gotten the test, a test at my doctor's office, the nostril mm-hmm. swab, not the brain. I haven't Not done the that brain one. piercing one, but the new one where they just do the, those not just swab gently. But I was shocked because we had to get our kids tested and if you've ever tried to administer a saliva-based test on a three-year-old, I really would love the inventors of Curative to <laughs> come to into my family's car and watch us as we basically had to pin down our children and like encourage them to fake cough or whatever to get the you know, <laughs> and be like, don't eat that, don't you can't eat that yet. We no snacks. We have to do the test, <laughs> but it's the margin of error is already so high if you're going to have people self-administer a saliva test. Yeah. Sorry. Like it's and I don't even I don't think people even understand that part. Yeah. You know, and they it's very stressful also when you take the test like you're in your car, like I'm freaking out already. I mean, I, you know, I, not, even not with my kids, like they're knocking on your window and being like, "Do you need help?" You know, it's very like there's probably people who would go often and feel very safe, but like, I'm glad I could go to my doctors and just get it done, you know, easily without having to go through this process. And I was completely had no faith that this test would be accurate. I, I was just because of the way that it's administered and it's a saliva test and nobody was checking to make sure that I did it right or put it back in the thing. So that's a choice that the city made, which is fine. It's why we were able to test a lot of people mm-hmm. But I think what people mm-hmm. were really worried about is these high testing numbers. Are they actually hiding the fact that a lot of these case tests are done wrong? The cases are actually higher than what we're test. The positivity rate is even higher than what we're saying. But the, the mayor did say that they have been able to catch so many asymptoma- asymptomatic cases that that kind of proves that their approach is the right one. But they, I mean, like, and I also want to point out the brain swab that you can even get in other parts of LA, the one where they put it up your nostril, also produces false negatives. Like, curative. Yeah, they all do. All tests right. do. Yeah, yeah, but like self-administering yeah. for curative is obviously even riskier if you if you just right. like, do it wrong. Uh, yeah. but I'd rather have somebody swab me. But the test itself, honest. there's 
is is not necessary if done correctly is not necessarily worse we i have concerns about curative we talked at the time about how this was a company that was brand new and funded by vcs which means that these big contracts meant that the equity that investors had including some la investors that are connected to garcetti means that they made a ton of money yeah. compared to a, a korean saying, company like cg yeah. the massive companies that were also bidding on this stuff that's just another contract for for them it doesn't affect right. their stock value or whatever necessarily. right there are questions people are saying is it like right. a theranos situation where yeah. you have this uh untested technology well i i mean so there i feel like it's not the the thing is it, to, to go back to to what hayes said earlier like the the thing is that the reason to get tested, the reason I've gotten tested numerous times, it has nothing to do with getting a negative result. And I feel like that's that's where this discussion kind of goes uh, off the rails a bit. Is that like if if this were properly communicated, you're not getting tested so that you can get. A negative result. The negative result is not really telling you anything. Hayes said, and what I think is exactly right, that the getting a negative result shouldn't change your behavior. But what should change your behavior is getting but positive. Everyone result. uses it, that and so way. like the, they get the negative result, right, and they see the, they use that to see family. There are so many workplaces that use it that but way. But the thing is, like we have we have a positivity rate mm-hmm. in the city right now of. 20% uh, higher than 20% if you take into account the the whatever percentage of false negatives there are but there are 20% of tests that are returning positive uh, returning positive i don't think that there are a high number of false positives and so for one in 5 people right now who are getting tested that is the way that they are finding out that they do in fact yeah. have covid that informs that informs and should inform decisions that they make going forward and that is the way that the test should be used on a sort of intermittent very not reliable basis over the course of the past eight to ten months we have had city officials and uh, county officials saying this test is not intended for a quote general uh, asymptomatic population that messaging has not been really has not been consistent, but I think that you could make the case, and city officials are doing this, that even if it had been consistent, you just don't have that much control over how people are using the test to to make their decisions. But I think the reaction that we're seeing is by and large from people who have adopted the mentality that a negative test result is a clean bill of health. And it is not that in any case like there, there's not a guarantee that can be given to you, and and we've heard more and more over the course of the pandemic about the the long latency of time yeah. of COVID nineteen, where you could have an exposure and not uh, test positive for the disease for five mm-hmm. to seven days after your exposure. So, getting a point in time test that says that you are COVID negative is not something that that can reliably be used by any individual to to project what their what their status is going to be several days hence and i think that if you actually go take the test they do tell you that that is part of the materials they provide you like you are getting a result at a point in time it doesn't it just means that your virus load is 
is not above the threshold that it could produce a positive result right now, but it doesn't mean that it won't be even an hour but you later. Just sat you know, in the like Dodger Stadium in a line for three hours, so you could go to Friendsgiving when you get this negative test. Uh-huh. Like you're not paying attention to that literature. You're gonna go, and it works the same way for cities as no. it does no. for industries. I heard when we used to talk about the the risks on for film and TV production, so many people saying it's so much safer because we get tested every single day. Those tests are some of the same ones that the city are using. They produce false negatives. It only takes one false negative, even if you get a really rapid response, to be on a set for an entire day and cause mass infections, which are now happening on film Mm -hmm. and TV sets all over the city. So many productions. Mr. Mayor, a show that... Uh, we would otherwise be reviewing happily on this uh, show. Yeah. Not Entire episode. You don't just have time to Mr. talk Mayor. about because of the huge outbreak that's happening, including on the Mr. Mayor set, which has caused production to be shut down. We were wrong in a lot of ways about like what testing meant for the city. I remember in, or in, across the country. I remember just saying, like, where are the tests? We need the tests. As if testing would allow us the, like an amount of awareness of our of our situation to allow us to operate in the world with each other but it has led to a false sense of security that has increased spread i think in a lot of cases and a justification for keeping businesses uh for, for more lax policies in other places when it should exist totally separately from whether or not retail is open, whether or not schools are open, whether or not film production happens, and just be for people who feel sick to know if they need to worry about getting sicker because they potentially have COVID and like being able to self-isolate. The other thing I think we were wrong about was rolling out just to, and I used to be on the complete opposite side of this argument, but just giving vaccines to to, to certain job categories uh, instead of making it available to more people up front. I understand why like we would want to give it to workers who are at the most risk, but that has made the rollout incredibly difficult. Meanwhile, in Florida, my parents have gotten the vaccine, and there are wait lists. It's a much more efficient process. And in California, we're throwing mm-hmm. them away. It's like these I think these were good-natured mistakes, but you know, we we can change and potentially save lives what do you all think about that is it time for age-based allocation of vaccines rather than um what you what you do for your profession well get them off the shelf i mean that's it's really it just it doesn't it honestly doesn't Mm -hmm. matter like the the when you when you compare the the absolute worst nightmare scenario is expiration on the shelf other than that, it doesn't really matter. Any literally anything is better than that. Inject a dog. I don't care. It's like <laughs> it doesn't matter. There are people sneaking in. We, we were uh, Scott. I saw you commenting on that story about like people lying to get saying that they were healthcare providers to get the shot. Part of me was like, good. I hope I hope enough people cheat <laughs> yeah. to make this system work to get more people vaccinated right. more quickly. Whereas now we have the exact yep. opposite. Well, yeah, I think this is maybe one of the other things that we probably won't have to worry much about much longer because it will change when the new administration and the Senate and the all that stuff happens because the they really, I guess the Defense Department could 
take time away from not briefing us on <laughs> the attack and actually focus it on vaccine delivery, which they haven't done yet. So I think I think that will be fine. I mean, I heard some interviews this week that's like, don't worry that much. Everyone should be vaccinated by April. It, it, like that will be the the vaccination season where it just it will be raining vaccinations down on everybody. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem that far away. But you're right too. Like that's the matter of life and death for someone who gets exposed between now and then. I'd like to see the teachers be prioritized. I'm sure they are, you know, but like um, that that should be the the first getting getting the the teachers and and this I know there's no kids vaccination yet but like getting the kids um on that track you know let's just get the kids in the schools as safe as we can and then we build our economy around that certainly i mean if we're if Newsom is talking about in person education in parts of california by mid february right yeah, isn't that the that's not going to happen here but yeah not going to happen here no no Yeah, we don't have time to get into it today, but Newsom had a a lot of interesting comments around the 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 release of his budget, which um, always a fun process to for us to dig into. We'll try and carve out some more time for that next week. And notable too that LAUSD has its own testing contract with a different company, Summer Bio, another new startups. So it's going to be like COVID testing startups everywhere, but they have a completely different contract from the city and they, they are testing people at random already. Just, you can, you could take your kid and get tested. That started after we had to get tested, but that's heartening. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll be better. Hi. So a quick addendum on this from uh, some, a story that came out after we recorded earlier today on Sunday uh, L.A. County has actually discontinued its contract with Curative to administer tests at county-run sites. Uh, the county had a limited partnership with Curative uh, that had only been in effect for about a month, and they canceled that in response to the FDA's warnings about false negatives. Uh, that could mean a couple things. We just, I think, have to sort of watch it to see what the what what that means that the county made that decision. Because a couple of days ago, the county was saying that curative tests had a normal rate of false negatives compared to other tests. But in the past, the county has been a little more skeptical about curative, uh, the, the, the thinking that they actually might produce more false negatives, which is why the county has not used them to the degree that the city has. And so if this decision to discontinue was because they they learned some new information that uh, curative tests are more likely to produce false negatives for some reason, then that would obviously be really bad for the city of LA, which still has curative as uh, as, as its provider of tests. But it could also be just a cautionary thing for the limited number of tests that curative was administering at the county level. So that is what happened Later on Sunday, back to the show, please. A couple of quick hits, stories we want to mention. Two deaths this week for really, really notable Angelinos. Tommy Lasorda and former city council member Tom Labonge. Tommy Lasorda, everyone in LA, I feel like, knows who he was and what he meant to the city. It was so fun. You could always see him at Dodger games. Somehow, no matter what your seat was, you had a line of sight to Tommy Lasorda, just like hanging out outside the dugout or like his seat in the in the front row. And whenever my so you people came from out of town, you go to a Dodger game, you could just be like, "There's Tommy Lasorda." Tom Labonge, 
former council member for the fourth district is a, a, a less mm-hmm. well known in the city, but a a really in terms of like the characters of city government, I, very few people stood out more powerfully than Tom Labonge. Relentlessly positive energy and a philosophy of government that was different from a lot of the ways we think about it now. I think he, I saw a quote with him saying, I don't legislate, I don't write laws. I just go around and find out what people need and I solve their problems for them. And he physically did that all day long, every single day. Uh, Alyssa, I'm 100% positive you have at least one Tom LaBonge story. Well, there's so there's so many. I mean, I thought what um, Nithya Raman posted, you know, she's his she's his legacy now. You know, it's the same. She was she is the council district that he was council member of and also was her council member and, and had this shared this wonderful, you know, just painted this picture of him, which is just someone who would just burst in and just like solve your problem. And you never knew when he was going to be around. But that's so it like people telling stories of like walking down the street and he's like on his stomach, like cleaning out a storm drain with like a a shovel that he had in his car that he always carried around with him. You know, that's very typical of the of the stories. Often saw him in Griffith Park. He'd be just running around the corner like he was always watering that Dante's View garden up there, especially after there was that horrible fire. It just, you know, always popping up. And And I remember the first time I met him, he asks you where you go to high school, but if you didn't grow up here, he switches really quickly to the five favorite buildings. Yeah, five. And I... Five. You have to ask. You have to answer five questions. Five questions. Five buildings. And you know, I started saying it, and I wasn't saying it fast enough. And he just started out just rattling off all these facts mm-hmm. and the cross streets. And oh, have you been here? You know, just knew everything about the city. And and also a very notable contribution. He got the whole music changed at City Hall, so it now yep. plays L.A. songs, <laughs> not just horrible old music, which I think is. What legacy could you leave behind that's not better than that? So <laughs> this extends to also far beyond his time as city council member. So you think like, oh, he's a politician and like going around shaking hands and stuff. He did not stop doing this after he left office in no, 2015. No. Uh, you would see him out at like every public meeting talking to people. You know, it was not his job anymore. This was always what he really, really wanted to do. This is Nithya's story to tell, and I'm sure she'll share it in in, in more detail. But he he also lived in in Silver Lake, and after she's in his former seat, and after she won, he came by personally to congratulate her. He his signature gift was this um uh the pumpkin bread from the monastery and in in, in Hollywood, and he would just give that right by to, the one hundred and one coffee shop. Yeah, that's right. He would just give that to everyone <laughs> in his life. But m- multiple weeks in a row, his visits would be preceded by her hearing the sound of her garbage and recycle bins being dragged up the driveway on trash day. Uh, and she will look at it and say, oh, there's Tom LaBonge pulling up my bins from the street. Uh, because that, that I mean, it's just nothing I think embodies him better than that. Like that is, that's the kind of thing he did all day. Yeah, every single day. he was, he was obsessed with trash. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to him about like anything about sidewalks, like I remember like at Ciclavia events or like walking events, he always had a lot to say about he, he the, uh, kind of solving the biggest problem in LA, which is that like 30 agencies have mm-hmm. jurisdiction over the point between one building and another on it, you know, every sidewalk, curb, sewer, storm drain, all that stuff. And so 
uh, everybody's like, oh, we should name like a trail after him in Griffith Park and maybe they should reopen that trail that was closed and in his mm-hmm. honor and, and gri- get better access to the Hollywood sign. But I would love to see instead of doing that, like overhaul the street system fix our trash collection and yeah. <laughs> you know uh all and the the right of way that issues and name that after him like make a legacy yeah. that says like yeah. wonky and policy driven as he was i uh, also want to check uh this story we talked about the methane leak at an L- ladwp uh, plant in sun valley we learned this week that that leak has been stopped but there's also a class action suit by a lot of the people that live around the, the the plant going forward against LADWP. Do the two of you know who is representing the residents of Sun Valley in that suit? Rex Paris, oh. the mayor of no. So I guess no. it's, a, it's an Airbud thing where like nothing in the rules says that the mayor of a, <laughs> another city can't sue. Uh, the, the the utility of the biggest city in the county. Rex Paris, we ought to do something about <laughs> that guy. <laughs> somebody, somebody should make a law. Thank you for listening to LA Podcast. Thank you, Brian Holmes, for producing the show. Thank you for subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Podcast. We will be back next week. Bye. <laughs>